Welcome to Chapter 30 of the Kinsman Die podcast, home of fantasy fiction based on Norse mythology that's written and read by me, Matt Bishop. In this podcast, I read my first novel, Kinsman Die, one chapter at a time. Rather than produce recap episodes every 10-ish chapters, as had been my plan, just not enough time right now, unfortunately, I've started incorporating more commentary after each chapter, and there will be a good bit of that this episode. Today, we're back with Odin as he sneaks into the longhouse he shares with his wife, Frigg, and it's the first time he's been there in 20 winters. Let's do this. Chapter 30, Odin. Odin barked his shins on a bench that hadn't been there before, so much for slipping quietly into the bedchamber from which he'd long been absent, and yet another reminder that things had changed in 20 winters. One of Frigg's thralls peeked out, her face a dim oval. She rushed to stand and bow when she realized who he was, but he waved her back. Having defeated the apparent warden of his wife's bed, his own bed, he crept the dozen more paces to the room where he and Frigg actually slept. Wooden boards creaked beneath his weight. He slipped through the final set of hangings, pulled off his boots, and set them quietly on the floor. As his eyes adjusted further, his wife came into view. Frigg reclined in their bed, her dark hair unbound and strewn about her like the spreading branches of an ancient elm. Even at rest, her natural expression gave the impression that she would bend before she broke. Not that she would ever break. He stepped closer to the bed, and a board that hadn't creaked twenty winters ago betrayed his presence. Her eyes flew open, fierce and awake. Her hand darted to the falcon-hilted knife he'd given her ages ago. Frigg, it's just me, Odin. Odin? She let go of the knife. What took you so long? Balder and I had a talk on the way down from the western shrine, he said, sitting on the bed. About what? she asked. Ithaval in the morning, and a secret I've been keeping. She grinned. The device Vidar's been working on, or another? And all this time, he thought that he and Vidar had been discreet. How did you know about that? Odin, I've ruled here alone the entire time you've been gone. A witch couldn't weave a curse without me knowing about it. Don't be too sure of that, he said, hoping this conversation wasn't turning into an argument. Njord and Skadi won't be here for Ithaval, by the way. Messenger arrived yesterday. They had to stay to resolve a border dispute. He frowned. Their duty is to participate in the council. We have them once a year. No, I hold them once a year, she said, her tone even and her gaze level. They each rule their own lands and have done so for a long time, just like us. Besides, we'll have enough here to decide about the renewed war you're planning. That is what you're planning, isn't it? She was relentless, his frig. So much for avoiding an argument. They did burn hulls right down to the stones, and that was a single Jotun warband. Vidar may find yet more in the mountains. Frigg glanced behind him toward the door and made a dismissive gesture. You're not needed tonight. Return to your beds. When the thralls had left, she tapped her ear and pointed toward the thralls' quarters. Beckoning for him to join her, she rose and walked to the far corner of their room. They stood beneath a small window where the wall met the roof's timbers. Moonlight peeked through. He put an arm around her shoulders and stood beside her, head stooped, facing the door into their chamber. They're just gossips, she said, her tone hushed. Nothing malicious about it, not like that crone I sent away all those years ago. You're sure? She nodded. As best I can be, she met his eye. We do need to talk, Odin, and I mean really talk. 
Not just about where you go and what you're doing, but about me and what I'm doing. I'm all alone here. I hate it. You're not alone, he said, suppressing a rush of indignation. He'd left her in very good hands. You have plenty of help. Tyr and Ullr, Heimdall, Thor, Sif, Idun. I know Freya and Freyr aren't here often, but... She dragged a finger into his chest. Our marriage was supposed to be a partnership. We were supposed to be together. To rule together. That's what you promised. That's what you told my father. May Aegir preserve him. I've spent more time alone than I have with you, Odin. I don't get a break. I don't get to wander off into the world's woods to do whatever it is you're doing. Night after night, I'm right here, keeping Gladsheim on track. He hadn't left just to go wandering or avoid his responsibilities as Allfather. He'd gone out because there was so much more to learn about the realms. I understand. I, I do. But look, we need to keep pushing outward or somebody else is going to push in on us. There are many other folk out in the realms, and not all of them are descended from my brothers or the Asir who left with them. I've come across whole settlements that could become valuable trade partners, allies. Maybe outposts we could use as staging areas for our own colonies or even places for our own to go. He sank to the chest beneath the window and pulled her down to sit beside him. The moonlight cast her features into stark planes and prominences. Her eyes were wells of shadow. I thought Hermod could lead our first trade expedition to some of those I've come across. It would be good experience for her. She could take a company of Ain. She pulled her hands from his. No, don't try to change the subject. I'm tired of doing all this by myself. Sick of it. He'd borne the same burdens she had, but for far longer. I know the weight of kingship. I also know how well you rule and how greatly our people respect you. Disbelief bloomed in her eyes. I'm serious, Frigg. Do you think I would have left Gladsheim in your hands if I didn't think the folk would respect you? To love you? I saw it the other morning before I rode to Vithy, and I see it here right now. You've blossomed. She stood, mouth a tight line, tone icy. So you've been what? Testing me? He shook his head. That's not what I meant. Look. When I left, when we were first married, it was to handle all those small crises. The raiding along the coast. Then, winters later, it was rebellious Gothies out east. Then the Vanir had their Alvar problems, and so on. Each time when I returned, often after months, you'd handle Gladsheim's affairs like you do everything else. Excellently. I know it wasn't easy for you, even raised as a chieftain's daughter. But eventually I realized that the only way for you to fully blossom was for me to absent myself. She leaned back, folded her arms, and gave a short, disbelieving laugh. He pressed on anyway. And look how you've grown, from sapling to strong elm. You know, I heard what you said in the hall earlier, Frigg. I am impressed. You've become the true all-mother of the Asir. Par Frigg, not by marriage alone, but by your own actions. I don't need you to tell me that, she stabbed a finger at him. You didn't leave to help me. You left because it's what you wanted to do. You didn't want to be stuck here ruling when you could be out there wandering around, but you should be here where your responsibilities are, not out there. He stood abruptly, jaws clenching, even as he tried to breathe long and slow. She stared up at him, not backing down in the slightest. You don't know a tenth of what's gone on here, she said. Not just within Gladsheim in the past twenty winters, but in our relations with the Jotun. Baldur's been going there twice a year, bringing supplies and medicines. Have you even spoken to him about conditions in Utgard? He was appalled by how the Jotun live. Sicknesses rampant, underfed children roam the streets, half-naked and shivering. Jotun children, actually shivering. 
he snorted. It's a play the Scrymir puts on. He could give Bragi lessons. The Scrymir knows Balder is too tender-hearted, so he orchestrates displays of misery before Balder arrives with his medics and his food and his clothing, and gold, I'm sure, and then dismantles the show after he leaves. The Scrymir's laughing up his sleeve the whole time. Maybe, she said with a shrug. Maybe that is what happened the first few years after Balder negotiated the truce. Why wouldn't they make themselves seem weaker after the beating our armies had delivered? But that's not what's happening now, at all. The Scrymir's respectful, accommodating, and it's no act. I've sat on the high seat and watched. I didn't mean for you to use it regularly. You showed me how, remember? How else was I supposed to rule? I don't have familiars to roam about and scare everyone. I needed to see that my orders were being obeyed. Even so, in that first year, Tyr and Ullur spent more time enforcing my will than they did patrolling the border with Utgard. Thank Eger they proved loyal. So, you're right. I haven't been alone. Many of the Jarls supported me, at first out of loyalty and duty to you, but now they respect me for myself. I have grown. I have matured. But don't you dare sit there and tell me you were testing me or deliberately helping me by not being around. Her eyes... Fierce as a falcon's, didn't waver. Pride swelled in him. Respect. If there was ever proof of how much you've changed, Frigg, this is it. Twenty winters ago, you would never have confronted me like this. She stepped in close. A lover's distance separated them. But she had her hands on her hips. No, I wouldn't have. But the point is, Odin, we're married. We're supposed to be changing together. We can't do that if we're apart more often than not. If they had been regular Asir, maybe he could have agreed. But they weren't. His role, and hers, was to chart a course for the Asir. Sometimes that meant being alone and doing that which others would not, or could not. We've made ourselves responsible for everyone. She smiled lightly. No, Odin, you've made us responsible by eating Yggdrasil's fruits and by keeping the Jotun penned in Utgard so long that their hatred for us will never die. Let it all go. Tear down the fortress. Let the Jotun go their way while we go ours. He shook his head. If we ease up, they'll recover. They'll come at us. Not now, but later when we don't expect it. Not all the Jotun are bad. Balder and the peace he has fostered proves it. You mean the peace that just ended? Interrupted, she corrected with a slight shake of her head. We can afford to take the longer view. That's the view I took, Frigg. Contain them, control them, and if they all died, well, he wouldn't shed a tear. Whip towns eventually turn on their masters. Why not let them instead make the choice to become Asir? Because I don't trust them, Frigg, any of them. The original Jotun, Ymir, was the worst troll that had ever existed. His blood ran through every Jotun. A part of Odin, a small part, did wonder if she was right. Maybe Ymir's blood was finally spread thinly enough that the Jotun had given up. If they had, then perhaps he should lay down his weapons. But only after he had settled the mystery of the attack on Halls. Well, folks, that was chapter 30 of Kinsmen Die. I hope you enjoyed it. We're roughly one-third of the way through the entire book. In this chapter, we were with Odin and Frigg as they argued over various stuff. It may not seem like it now, but it's all there for various reasons. There are also quite a few foreshadowings in this chapter. Maybe one or two of them I incorporated while writing the first draft, but the rest were inserted throughout the writing and editing process. I'm not going to call them out because... Spoilers! 
Instead, I'll talk about Njord and Skadi, who are among those mentioned in this chapter. In the myths, Njord is a Vanir, probably the father of Freyr and Freya. Skadi became Skadi, and I'm saying S-K-A-D-I is how it's often uh, written in English. The D is actually a weird letter. I forget what it's called, but it's the same in Odin's name. And it's the sound you're supposed to make when you say it is somewhere between a D and a Z, maybe a TH a little bit. I have trouble saying it, as you have probably noticed. But anyway, Skadi becomes Njord's wife, and more about that in a minute. But it's not clear from the myths if Skadi is their mother or not. She's probably not. Skadi is the daughter of the Jotun Thiazi, who forced Loki to help him steal both the fruit from Yggdrasil and Idun herself, the keeper of that fruit. We've already seen what that fruit does in Hodor's chapters. It restores youth and vigor. And in my universe, the abduction of Idun is backstory, along with what happened afterward, which I won't get into right now. But basically, the Asir killed Thiazi, in which Loki helped. And then Skadi showed up in Godsheim or Asgard as Godsheim in my book, but Asgard in the in the myths, demanding recompense for that murder, which was granted. She was allowed to pick a husband from among the Asir, but she could only choose based on their feet. I I don't know why. She picked the god with the most beautiful and or cleanest feet. Her reasoning being that since Baldur was the most beautiful of the gods, he would also have the nicest looking feet. She chose poorly. The cleanest feet yearbook award actually belonged to Njord. Since he was a god of the sea, he must have really benefited from those constant sand and salt exfoliations. Skadi is a darker warrior figure. In the myths, she's also the goddess of skiing, which is kind of cool, and her name may be associated with Scandinavia in general. Her name could mean either harm or shadow, which is super cool. Njord is basically the opposite. He is a sea god. He lives by the seashore. And I'm not going to do a tongue twister, although that would be funny. Njord and Skadi would alternate time by the sea, then by the mountain in the mountains where she lived. And which reminds me a little bit of the Persephone Hades myth. I don't know if there's any kind of connection, but it just reminds me of it. Skadi hated the seaside. Njord hated the mountains. And because of that, their marriage did not last. Skadi plays a big role in my third book because she's basically a super badass. I also refer to Frigg as an elm tree. I picked that particular tree because of the myths in which the first man and woman, Oscar and Embla, were created. Oscar means ash, Embla means elm. Ash is the man, elm is the woman. Now, there's two different accounts of how Oscar and Embla were basically given life. In the Prosetta, Snorri says that Odin gave them breath and life. Vili, one of Odin's brothers, gave them intelligence and movement. And Ve, another of Odin's brothers, the, he only has two brothers, gave them their outward appearance, speech, hearing, and sight. I alluded to Odin's brothers in one of the earlier chapters and in this one as well basically saying that they had traveled farther west and Odin was out looking for them. In Volispa, which is part of the Poetic Edda, there is a different set of figures involved in the creation of Oscar and Embla. Those individuals are Odin, Hynir, who gives what is called Oether in that poem, which is the root of Odin's name. 
There is no English equivalent of this word. It means something like battlefield madness or poetic inspiration, intellectual insight, the intoxication of spiritual ecstasy. And note that this honier, it looks like honier, but it's supposed to be said heinier, is the same as the heinier referenced by Snorri in his Inglinga saga, where he details the Asir-Vanir war, which I've threatened to recount on several occasions, but have yet to do so. It's also worth noting that Mimir is prominent in the Asir-Vanir war, which is when he loses his body and Odin preserves his head. The third figure who gives life to Oscar and Embla is called Loder, often equated to or attempt to be equated to Loki. This is not substantiated, particularly in Rudolf Zemeck's books and elsewhere. It's extremely unlikely, unlikely that Loder and Loki are the same individual. Loder's gifts to humans are good looks and something called law, L-A with an accent. Nobody knows exactly what law means but it's probably something like blood and other bodily fluids. So kind of gross, but it definitely does not mean warmth, as is suggested in various translations. And that's where the link between Loder and Loki comes in, because Loki, L-O-K-I, is often thought to be the same as the word Logi, L-O-G-I, which means fire. So Loki as the god of fire, but that's also not the case. If anything, and uh, Dr. Jackson Crawford talks about this a bit, Loki might mean something more like not like you tie in a rope or something, which actually is a lot cooler and makes a bit more sense and is definitely how I've interpreted him, Loki, that is, in, in my books. And I'll go into that in a little bit more detail in a future episode, just like I will with the Asir Vanner War, so don't get your hopes up. When the world is destroyed in Ragnarok, the only humans who survive are Leif and Lifthrasir. Those names mean, according to Zemek, life and the one striving after life. I don't know which is which, male, female. I've seen the one striving after life being defined as the male. Leif and Lifthrasir take refuge from the raging fires and destruction that Surtur brings by hiding in a wood called Hodmimis Holt. A holt means, according to Etymology Online, which is an awesome site, woods, forest, grove, or thicket. But that's more, I believe, in Old English. But it dates back into Old Norse and some of the earlier Germanic languages as basically meaning wood or timber or forest or something like that. Zemek states that hodmimir might mean treasure mimir. And I had just mentioned mimir earlier. Zemek also suggests that Hodmimis Holt could refer to Yggdrasil, but nobody really knows what that term means. Uh, so here we have another reference to Mimir and a link between him and Yggdrasil, which I will talk about when we meet Mimir in an upcoming episode. Next week, we're back with Vathrudnir. But before then, if you have the time and inclination, please take a few moments to rate or review the podcast. That is very helpful to me and helps boost the show's visibility as to sharing it. And if you're so inclined, shoot me an email at mattbishopwrites at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And as always, I'm going to read from the Havamal, the sayings of the High One. Also, as usual, I'll be reading from the Bellows and Larrington translations. Bellows, verse 30. In mockery, no one a man shall hold, although he fare to the feast. Wise seems one oft, if not he is asked, and safely he sits dry-skinned.
Larrington, verse 30. Into a laughingstock no man should make another, if he comes to visit the household. Many a man seems wise if he isn't asked questions and he manages to lurk unscathed. Thanks for listening.